You are listening to the Sickles and Noise podcast on the ProSound Web Podcast Network, sponsored by RCF and Out and Heath. For over 70 years, RCF's passion for perfection drives the design of every product to create unique experiences for venues around the globe. RCF's Ara Pro Series Professional Active Studio Monitors are optimized for near-field studio applications, broadcast, and desktop use. Whether you're in a small studio using a mobile system or hotel room desk, you have a powerful system to accurately mix with uncolored audio reproduction. Learn more at rcf-usa.com for the latest news and product information. RCF, the sound behind the experience. Alan and Heath has asked us to read this. A math problem. If Bob has 12 pounds of taco meat to serve a crew of 10, which contains two vegetarians and only three dozen corn tortillas and five tomatoes, can I get more bass in my monitor? I wish I could break free Back to where I'm supposed to be Push the button. Yeah. Oh, what are we waiting for? Sick. Uh, You. How's it going? Oh, okay. Sick. Is this how it always goes? Yes. People go, okay. people think we like write scripts and prepare, and I can assure you, no, we do not no, write we don't. scripts. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the Signal to Noise podcast on the Pro Sound Web Podcast Network. My name is Michael Lawrence. Uh, this is Chris. What number is this? Shoot. 190. 190. 190 episodes of this thing. Holy cow. Uh, I am joined by my handsome co-hosts, Chris Leonard and Sam Boone. You're both very handsome. Uh, girls can be handsome too. We're equal opportunity here at the Signals Noise podcast. Um, before we get into our guest for this week, Sam Boone, what is the coolest thing you have on arm's reach? Oh, I was not prepared for this. No, but you did some decorating. I see you've got your vinyls out, and and that looks nice. Yeah, and if I push the chair backwards, they'll be within arm's reach. Um, yeah, so I'm going with the vinyls. What vinyl? Oh, she's digging. Oh, she's digging. She's crate diving right now. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> All right, well, while she's digging her crate... Uh, I'll go, I guess. Yeah, why don't um, you? <laughs> uh, I, I, I'll give a shout out to Billy uh, LaGuardia. He has a, yes. he has a, an awful airport, but um, uh, the, he has a case company um, called LM Cases, and he sent us some cool stickers and some hoodies and some sweatshirts. It is the most comfortable hoodie I've ever freaking owned. It's got like the Sherpa it, lining on the inside. Yeah, it's like super it's, warm. Yeah, it's amazing. So thank you, Billy. We appreciate the swag and the love. And go listen to his episode. So, and Kyle's texting us uh, pictures of his office right now, which means that he's like in his office and but still not, not logged on to the recording. So uh, I've just reminded him that we are in fact recording the show right now, and he should log in. Sam's still digging. Um, I got it. Oh, you got it. Okay, <laughs> yeah. what do you got? I have rumors by Fleetwood Mac. Oh, oh that's nice. a good one. That's respectable. Yeah, I also have like a second edition pressing of Thriller somewhere. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's what I was looking for, hence the digging. But we, we went with rumors. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
I've got, let me see. Uh, tax information is not exciting. Um, I have these little stickers. These are little cool little stickers and they're scale replicas of the candelabra from the Phantom that, of the Opera set. That's that in your I, office? Yes. And some girl, I think her name's like Christian Bon Jovi. She has a little Etsy page where she makes little little stickers and she sent me these and they're really cool. Um, so there you have it. Um, Sam, who is our guest on the show this week? So today we're joined by Mr. Pete Abdu, hanging out. Hello, hello. How's it going, buddy? Good. How you doing? Good. Can you out. can you tell us about Pete and what Pete does? Yeah. And why so he's here? Pete's hanging oh, out. Here's the fifth and, person. Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Kyle's, Kyle's showing, showing up. up. <laughs> hey, Kyle. <laughs> oh my god. Wow, he's loud. Put your headphones in, Put your Kyle. Why is that so loud? Oh, oh my god! Oh, it's like echoing, it's back. echoing back. Yeah, because I got my headphones not plugged in. Yeah. Bro, we got we got one job. Hey, buddy. <laughs> All right. How's it going? Hi, hi, Kyle. How you doing, man? You look great. You look real good. I'm trying to clean up this fucking room, and then I forgot about <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe when we get to 200 episodes, you'll have a rhythm established. Let's, let's do let's do one oh, thing. Yeah, the the rhythm of Tuesdays. Go ahead and let me know about that. <laughs> well, we switched. To be fair, in Kyle's defense, <laughs> like we switched. Ago. Like a hundred and something episodes in, we're like, let's change. Let's do this differently. And I'm not worried about it, but you're on your internal microphone. Um, and then let's do one more housekeeping before we actually have Sam intro. Oh, Pete, come see our event. Come see us. Yes. Right. So Can March eight. Yes, March 8th Where in Nashville. We're a mess. Uh, we want to give a special <laughs> shout out to Alan Heath and RCF for coming on as sponsors for the event. Um, and we're going to have Mike Green, who plays the intro track Break Free on the on the, uh, on the the podcast that you guys have been hearing. Um, and uh, we're going to be there. There's a bunch of y'all that have registered. So we ask that you, there's a registration link um, in the description of this of this episode, or you can find it on our socials. And we just register when you're coming. Um, um, and it's but gonna it's be free. a good time. It's free. It's free. Yeah, yeah, that's that's. I mean, um, some people have said they're traveling. That's that's cool. We don't expect people to travel. We appreciate. We're traveling. traveling. <laughs> oh yeah, we are traveling. March eighth, Hard Rock Cafe, Nashville. Be there. It's yep. gonna be a great time. All right, Sam. Please tell us about our guest. So, Mr. Pete Abdu is a super awesome drum tech who has had the pleasure or displeasure of touring with both Michael and I in the past year. Um, so, he's worked with bands such as Hailstorm, Megadeth, One Republic, Ace Freely, and most recently, Volbeat. So, welcome, Pete. How's it going? Good to have you. Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good to be here amongst all the audio peeps. Yeah. Pete, I'm on your mailing list. I don't know how many how many people are on your email <laughs> list, but it's at least one, dude, because I'm on it. All I always right. get your emails. I see what you're up to. Yeah, all I, right, I, I good. dig it. Yeah. You're up to date then. That's great. Yeah, I'm very up to date. I wa- I'm a big fan. I watch all your stuff. <laughs> oh, great. Nice. He does. He'll text that. me. He'll yeah. be like, you're in the background on one of Pete's videos. I'm like, thanks. Uh, <laughs> I was at work. <laughs> did you like um, Sam's roadie short? I did. I thought that uh, whole series was really cool, actually. Actually, we oh. should probably put up a link to that. Pete's been doing a series of videos uh Roadie shorts. Pete, can you tell us a little bit about that project that you're doing? I well, let's it was really just neat. talk about all the videos in general. Yeah, there's so there's a couple content, different. Man. There's the YouTube channel. There's the reviews. Let's just, yeah. let's get it all out. It's a wealth. It's a wealth of content. Yeah, I'm kind of all over the place. I, I, I haven't picked one medium yet for some reason. I should all, you know, well, it all kind of funnels into the website anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, PeteAbdu.com. So you can find any of this stuff, you know, through there. So, <clears throat> but, you know, it started for me. 
uh, doing that, I when I started touring, I just would video chronicle my travels because I used to write everything down. And, you know, lo and behold, we have video. So it was easier to shoot video. So I started with the YouTube channel, really. And, and it just kind of grew from there. And then, you know, I'm not on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. So I post little things on Instagram here and there. And it kind of just uh, kind of grew. I've had the website since like mid-90s. But uh, the YouTube channel, I have two YouTube channels because I tried to separate it after after the tour thing kind of blew up and blew up. And I was posting so many tour videos. I was also po posting drum videos and, you know, everything I do pretty much on one channel. And it kind of got a little, I don't know, congested, I guess. So <laughs> I separated the tour stuff from everything else, studio work and live performances and whatever I put on a separate channel. I the Roadie Shorts thing is part of touring, so that's why it's on the tour channel. Yeah. I think you should do a whole series on all of the things that drum techs <laughs> dislike about audio engineers. You could probably do a <laughs> yes. whole series on that. <laughs> yes. One thing that I thought was really cool, Pete, is there were some comments on your videos, and you would talk to people who did, you know, like, you know, uh, video, video tech or whatever, yeah. you know, yeah. and people would be like, oh, I didn't know that was a job. And I think yeah. there's a lot of value there because I didn't know any of these jobs were jobs when I was, you know, in high yeah. school and early college. So just, is that I, you know, just bringing some consciousness to those jobs. It's like really, you know, media server operator, that type of thing. That was really the point of it. You know, myself and our lighting designer, Niller, uh, we're sitting around one day and he said, you know, I watch your YouTube stuff and um, he's, a, he's a subscriber. So he catches all the videos and as much as people might love watching like what I do on tour, what does everybody else do? And why don't I just go around and randomly talk to people about you know what they do? And it doesn't have to be a you know big long segment. It's just a few questions about what they do and how they like touring and things like that. And it's enough to kind of give a people an idea of who else is involved with the production of such a big or such a small tour, depending where I am, you know? Right. It was fun because it was it didn't have to last more than five to ten minutes, and I, I wasn't pulling people out of their jobs. You know, I was trying to find the gaps where they weren't doing much, and they could just come and talk to me and have a conversation for five minutes, and it worked out. It's kind of like the um, the meme. I know at least us in the industry have constantly seen of like what people think happened backstage, right? And it's like what, yeah. you know what people think, what my mom thinks, what my brother thinks, and then like what really happens, you right. know. And obviously, what everyone thinks happens is like you know the frat party, then the and the blow and the everything else. And it's like, <laughs> right. and that may have been a heyday thing of, of one <laughs> thing, but that is definitely not the daily occurrence of what happens now. And so I think it kind of shines a light too of like, no, this these are like legit careers you know yeah. that people are doing and not just obviously you as a drum tech but i think it's what's cool is you're kind of highlighting that like these are all these different parts that come together uh when people experience these live events it's it's a it's a it's an important thing to bring to bring light to that oh i agree I, you know i want to continue doing it and i think I'll, I'll do it on every tour that i'm on but i even thought about i might start contacting friends that i know are on tour and just do phone conversations mm. and have that and i can you know put it on the YouTube channel with a picture of them, picture of me or whatever, and, and just put the audio up there. So um, I, I do want to continue doing it for sure. People seem to like it. So why not? Right. Yeah. How does your path 
I, I'm thinking we we've had a guitar tech on the show. We've never had a drum tech on the show. How did you find the path into doing what you're doing now? Did you start off in high school and go, I want to be a drum tech for Volby? I mean, like, you know, what was that? <laughs> what was that? What was that path for you? I had no idea. You were, you were saying earlier how you, you, you don't know what these jobs are. You even, don't even know if they are jobs. I didn't know drum tech was a job, you know, when I, when I started. I just, I was 10 years old and just wanted to play drums with people. And, you know, you end up in your teens wanting to be a rock star and, and all that. Musical you know, household? And, uh, musical household, yeah. Um, more on the cousin side, though. My, my dad played violin very early on. But <clears throat> beyond that, he played records, so it wasn't yeah. uh, he wasn't very musically inclined after the violin, which was short lived, from what I understand. But I have cousins that are musicians, and I'd go over to their house when I was a kid. I don't know if you guys anybody remember a band called Malaya Rage? Yeah, <clears throat> from the eighties. Yeah, I'm like I was literally yeah. going to be like, I bet Kyle knows what that is, and now he does. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to make friends. We'll be just fine. Uh, my, my cousin is Jim Corey, the guitar player. And oh, cool. he, I would go to his house and his, his sister Linda's a drummer. And at that time, I think I wasn't even playing drums at that time. I think I was playing trumpet because I started with trumpet. And I would go to their house Same and they'd be brother. jamming out. Did you? Hell yeah. <laughs> they took, they talked me out of playing drums because they were like, Here's what Jingle Bells sounds like on drums, Mom. Here's what Jingle Bells sounds like a trumpet, and I got I got pushed into trumpet instead of drums. I, well, really? and similarly, I got pushed into tuba because so I, I needed I a fine tuba. art I, I I needed a fine art credit in high school, and yes. I was like I don't know how to play anything. So I talked talk to the music teacher, and I'm like, well, like she's like, what do you want to do? I'm like I want to play drums. She's like, well, I have way too many percussionists. She's like, but I don't have a tuba player. And I'm like, all right, you gotta teach me. So that's how I ended up playing tuba for like a year or two in high school. <laughs> I took a sousaphone home for a summer to practice. You know those Sick. big white ones with the wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, I never thought about the, the logistics ring. of taking a sousaphone home. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, well, the here's the funny thing. I, I that's what I started on was a fi white fiberglass sousaphone, right? Because right. the school didn't have a brass upright tuba right. because yep. they didn't have one someone to play it or whatever, right? And so yeah. we started. I started off learning on the marching band fiberglass sousaphone, and then they're like, "Oh, this is working out. Let's go buy a used actual tuba." So like the second yeah. half of the year, I actually got to play with a tuba, and definitely sounded way way better. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. For me, uh, sousaphone was all junior high school for me, so middle school. Mm. And then when I got into high school, it transferred over to brass tuba, but it didn't last long as I was playing drums on the side, you know, all through junior high and all that. And I remember the high school drum line wasn't getting a part right. And I knew how to read melody music, but I never really read drum music, but I always learned drums by ear. So I would, I went up and played this part. And after the rehearsal was over, the director asked me what the hell I was doing playing a horn when I should be playing drums. So I never played it again, actually. It was <laughs> nice. from that day, like I never played the horn again. And it was all all drums for me after that. But anyway, to get back to your question, Michael, about, are you going to say something, Kyle? Nope. No? I was, but I, you're getting Michael, back to uh, Michael's question first. <laughs> uh, so after, after high school, I was immediately playing in clubs and it kind of, you know, I mean, playing with many, many bands and recording, and that actually kind of got me more into learning about studio engineering and things like that. And 
I would always stay after the sessions to, you know, hang out with the engineer and just learn all the stuff that was involved in recording drums and recording any instrument really. So it kind of got me into that path. So I knew more about the sessions I was going in on, which helped me a lot. And then around um, the mid nineties, I started teaching drums uh, full time. Uh, and then around 2008, I moved to California and I was living in Long Beach and uh, a guy that I knew, knew um, a, a local company that was a labor crew and I had never done any kind of stagehand stuff or any of that stuff. So I said, yeah, it's in music. Great. I'll, I'll keep doing it. And that's kind of what I've always wanted to just do anything in music that I could get my hands on and make a living at, you know? So me moving out to LA, pretty much knowing nobody, um, within three days I was working at the Honda Center in Anaheim, you know, unloading trucks and helping people set shit up and whatever. So that eventually segued into me touring as a drum tech. But, you know, I skipped a lot of history there, I know, but um, it dates back to 2001 because I was in Boston playing with four different bands and I was at this one show, I played with this uh, solo artist. And um, after the show, I went and sat down at this table with a bunch of musicians. We were talking and this one girl from Dallas was there, uh, this girl named Tiffany. And um, we started talking about what she was doing in Boston because she was from Dallas and she was on sabbatical and she was trying to find just a purpose, I guess. She was just kind of lost and she was getting ready to, she was writing music, recording, and she was getting ready to go back to Dallas to sign this album deal. And she really liked how I played and wanted me to move to Dallas to play drums. So I did that. And I was with her till 2005. When I moved to LA in 2008, she married a tour manager. Um, this guy Jeff Good. Do you guys know Jeff Good? I don't think so. I know that. I know the name. It sounds familiar. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. So Jeff was actually Volbeat's tour manager, uh, not briefly, but uh, before Guy Sykes. And he he used to run in front of house for Blue October and a bunch of other bands. Um, I think Drowning Pool. Um, bands like that. So anyway, she married this guy. I'd never met him before, but I went to their wedding and we met. And um, in 2010, I got a call from him and said, hey, my friend is tour managing this band, you know, ironically out of Boston. And here I am in LA. Uh, they need a drum tech. And I'm like, oh, that's a thing? Like I didn't <laughs> even think that was a job job, you know? Because I always set up my own shit and help my buddies set up shit and fix stuff and clean stuff and whatever, you know? So I called them up and I got on tour with them, this band called Hourcast out of Boston, and they were opening for the damn things who was opening for Volbeat. Hmm. Oh. So that was kind of, and funny enough, that was Rob's connection to Rob Caggiano, who's in the band now, because Rob mm -hmm. played for the damn things. And Rob and I both met Volbeat on that same tour. <clears throat> so anyway, a year went by after that tour was over. And uh, Jeff had called me up and, the, and Volbeat had gotten rid of their drum tech and the guitar player quit and we went through all these changes and asked me if I was interested. And of course, I remember those guys. They're all, even the, I mean, the crew, we all hung out all the time and got along really well, which we still do. And um, I said, yeah, I was, I was off the road. I had finished the year with the band I was with and, um, you know, went on, went on my first tour with Volbeat. I think my first tour with Volbeat was January of 
2012 with uh, Megadeth and Motorhead and Lacuna Coil, the Gigantor thing that they nice. put on. So it's fun. So that's kind of how, how it all led up. But, you know, I tell my students all the time, you know, don't, number one, don't pigeon, pigeon, when you're trying to play for somebody, take every gig. Like, don't pigeonhole yourself to, and I guess it, it that goes for any profession really, right? So you get offered a gig, take it, because you don't know where it's going to lead. And, and um, for me, if I didn't sit down, if I just packed my drums after that show and went home and didn't talk to that person sitting at the table, I wouldn't be talking to you guys because I wouldn't know you guys. <laughs> Because I wouldn't have never, never met Volbeat, might not even know who Volbeat is. You know what I mean? It's all yeah. connected that way. And it's the networking and, the, and actually being the type of person that's going to be social with other people after a gig. And a lot of musicians aren't like that. A lot of musicians are packed up, pack up their shit and go home, go home after a show. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> Speaking of networking, how did, when did you start meeting other drum techs that actually gave you an idea of what the drum tech's responsibility could or should be? Probably that first tour with Volbeat, actually, because before that, I mean, I was meeting guys on the on, in 2010 and 11, <clears throat> and I learned certain things from them. But um, I think the guys that I were meet that I was meeting weren't. Uh, oh, there he goes. Kyle, got what the do you poster. got? Kyle's got the tour poster. <laughs> He's got a damn thing poster. There's Rob. Yeah. Hey, this is Rob Casiano. That's awesome, yeah. man. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Rob. Yeah, yeah. Because actually, damn things. Uh, they headlined the next tour, and the band I was stuck for opened for them. Yeah, uh, so you spent a lot of time with front Rob. of house with those dudes for. Oh, did you one one tour? I did right before Iconoclast came out. Um, I did Fallout Boy before then, so I know Joe and Andy, and uh, okay. I know the Every Time I Die dudes too, Keith and Yep, <clears throat> Yep. yeah, those it's dudes, all connected. That man. was fun, yeah. and you got to do a Motorhead show. Or at least, I yeah. mean, I've, I've been to a thousand of them, but like that was one of the last yeah. tours that Motorhead kind of did before Lemmy yeah. passed. Yeah. Yeah. It was very cool. That was very cool for me for sure. I, I, um, was Arnie doing front of house? Do you I, remember their front house dude? Oh, man. Little bald German dude, Swiss, Swiss, Swiss. Dude. Yeah. 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 He was. Yeah. He was. He and of course, uh, Roger was working for him as usual. Um, doing guitars and stuff. So let's talk about that for a uh, second, though, right? Because, yeah. like, when you're in front of house, like, I, I call it the island very affectionately. Because I'm like, all right, I'm, I'm going to be out here on the island. Um, do you ever feel, like, removed from crew or maybe too crowded? Like, what what is it like for you working on stage as a drum tech? Because normally, in my mind, right, I think of you guys as having the most stuff. Right. Like yeah. what, what does your normal day look like on tour? Cause like as an audio person, I'm like, Oh, I, I know what my gear is. Yeah. I know nothing about your world. And obviously the sound starts with you guys. My, um, it depends who I'm working for. So I've been with John and Volbeat for 11 years and my job has gotten a lot quicker because I know his stuff so well. So it's, like I can have his stuff set up and ready to go in 30 minutes and it's not a small drum set, as you know. No, um, it is a lot of, a lot and of I used to, when I started with those guys, I was biking everything up too. It wasn't just setting up the drums because they didn't have an, uh, a monitor tech. It was just a monitor engineer 
he would help out sometimes. Mads was our front of house guy. He would come out and help. But I guess the guy before me just, he did that. Because the guy before me wasn't even a drummer. So he was more of a tech guy and he knew how to tune and set stuff up and plug stuff in and whatever. So I kind of inherited the audio part of it as well when I, when I joined those guys and other gigs that I've done with these other bands that you listed, Sam, I, I don't have to worry about that. I just show up and do drums and then the audio guys come and they wire everything up and we're all good to go. You know, um, with Volbeat, now it's a lot, like I said, now it's a lot quicker for me. And I, I don't necessarily get the stage till almost noon. Sometimes it depends where we are yeah, and how long everything. Yeah. But that's, yeah, that's the way it goes, I guess sometimes, um, which, you know, it's, I mean, it's kind of nice when I know I don't have to sound check till three 30. So I got three and a half hours. So I got time to do roadie shorts and I got time to you know, <laughs> screw around and, uh, go visit people and have coffee and whatever. Um, but, yeah, I, I guess it depends on the artist because John's very hands off too. You know, when I was working with, um, I did, I did nine nine fill in shows with uh, RJ from Hailstorm, and um, when I went out with them, RJ was very hands on, and he would come out, and so he would come out and check everything and talk to me about, the, about this and about that. And it wasn't just because I was filling in, but that's just what he does. And I, I've always been absolutely fascinated by him in particular, and just his whole yeah. approach. I've never seen anyone, I, I kind of like to study drummers. I spend probably way too much time looking at YouTube videos and stuff like yeah, that, yeah. you know, and yeah. I've never seen anyone that has that particular style that he has and the right. way just he approaches it. It's just very unique and it's, I found it very yeah. interesting. So uh, that doesn't surprise me at all that he's very much sort of in the driver's seat with his, with right. his art, you know? And he's very excited all the time. Yeah, you know, he's just he's very excited about everything all the time and excited to see you and excited to get up there and play. And he was excited to hear me do sound check. And it was like, <laughs> you know, I, was, I was like, what the hell? And he, you know, I guess uh, the guy that I was uh, uh, subbing for who got hurt, Terry, uh, he doesn't play that much. And he doesn't like to really, like RJ likes to do a drum solo, but he wanted, he's wanted Terry to, to play with him during his drum solo. He wouldn't do it. And when he saw I could play, he's like, oh, you got to play with me during my drum solo. <laughs> I got these really cool uh, uh, quad toms from Pearl yesterday, and I want to come out and play those, and you can play my drum set. And this and that, he's really, really excited about it. And you don't get that from every yeah. artist that you work for, for sure, you know. And so I did. I played like eight shows with him. But, can, um, we, can we pause yeah. there for a second? Yeah. <clears throat> you, you mentioned interesting fact, right? So, um, and, and this, I think this goes across for all backline, but we can speak of the drummers. It's like, you don't have to be uh, talking about like dispelling or making known about like these jobs. Like you don't mm -hmm. have to be this world-class musician to actually be able to be a tech, right? Like Correct. Um, just Correct. like in audio as well, like half of it's probably just about your people skills and making sure you're taking care of your person and just knowing yep. what they need and facilitating yep. that. I don't care if you can play my songs or not. You're not, you're not there as my backup in case right. I break my leg happens right. sometimes. But right. that's just not what you're that's there not why for. You're there, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And the, the guy before me, uh, uh, with Volbeat, like I said, he he could barely play. You know, boom, bop, boom, boom, bop. He, but he was very technically, you know, savvy and and knew the ins and outs of the drums and the kit he was using and the triggers and all that stuff. You know, so they had him 
uh, for a bunch of years before I got on board and it worked. And I've seen, I've seen many, many drum techs that really don't play that much. They just, they just tech, you know, and I, I'm not surprised by it. Yeah, you don't really have to have to be a drummer per se. You just have to, you know, you, I think you got to like it and you got to love it, it sure. too. You know, yeah, for <laughs> so, sure. Yeah, I'm not, and I'm not being a drummer it helps. Doesn't, yeah, yeah, I'm not saying it doesn't help. It's just, you know, there's, I've, I've definitely seen plenty of people who, um, you know, where it's like, you know how to string a guitar, you know how to tune it, but for the love of God, you couldn't play one song if, if you're like depending yeah. on it. And that, you know what I mean? And that's, that's, that's okay. Sad. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's like, me. That, that, yeah. um, the, the world needs yeah. different levels of people. What's the most exciting part of your day? What, what, what do you get? What's, what's the one thing that brings you back every day that the drive? <laughs> I was waiting for yes! the popcorn to come out. <laughs> popcorn. I was waiting for it. <laughs> Oh man, that didn't start for me till 2018. For those of you who uh, don't see what I just did, I held up, held up a bag of popcorn. Um, and that's actually from Germany, guys. By the way, it was in my work yeah. box when it got shipped here. Nice, <laughs> and it was it was sealed. So, Pete, um, I'm, ex- I'm very excited to go popcorn hunting with you again. Yeah, that was a good one, actually. I'm glad you went with me. Niller went with me once. So, 2018, just out of the blue, I was uh, doing a Europe tour with Volbeat, and I decided that. Because I always, I, I'm, I love popcorn. So I, I search for popcorn in the different venues. And if I can't find it in the venue and there's a movie theater across the street, I go there and get it or, <laughs> you know, whatever I can do. If there's a story, I buy it, whatever. So in 2018, I decided to uh, chronicle it on my YouTube channel and try to find the best popcorn in Europe. What? You know, the places we were going, obviously. That's awesome. So, the, what's the best? Oh, oh sorry. Well, I'll, I'll shut up. In 2018, it was Herning, Denmark, and that was, I think, the second show we did that year. And it all, yeah, we did 30-something shows, whatever it was, and it all circled back to the beginning of the tour. Nothing beat it. But along the way, you run into, okay, well, this venue only has sweet popcorn, and this venue only has cheddar popcorn. This, this one only has salty and butter. And I'm a salt butter guy, so I I like the other stuff. But how can I compare the the three of them together? Do you know what I mean? Like I can't choose one over the other. Of course not. I can't say I can't say that. well, just can't say that this one's the best because it's salt and butter. You know what I mean? So I just had to narrow it down to just salt and butter. So but, Pete, what are the rules of the rankings? So the rules of the rankings are um, obviously consistency. It can't be stale. I can't, you know. Day old, week old, and I ran into that all the time. I mean, if you watch some of the videos, I show up really early before they open to see if they even have it already popped, pre-popped, bagged, you know, whatever. So it's got to be as fresh as possible, obviously, in the consistency. The salt to butter ratio has to be there. It's got to be right. If it's served, you know, if it's served warm, that's a bonus, which it was in the winter this year. Um, the winter this year was Austria, Vienna, Austria. And they held the title. We were there at that venue for two days, but that didn't matter. But do you let the people popped. know who is like? Do you talk to people about like the people who are serving you? Like, hey, I'm I'm experiencing this, and here's what I yeah. like, and let them know that. Hey, well, you're, yeah, you're well, rank, I tell them ranking. I'm doing. Yeah, I tell nice. them I, I I'm doing that. Usually, when I go up to ask for it, because sometimes they don't make me pay for it if I do that. Oh, nice. <laughs> Have you ever told people that, that it's like awful? I'm like, just give them honest truth. Like, this is yes, nice, yes, and in the videos too. <laughs> In That's the awesome. videos too, yeah, because 
Oh, uh, there was some there was some pretty horrible ones. One of them, if you watch one of the videos, I went up and there were it was in a bunch of boxes. Like I found a popcorn stand. It said fresh popcorn. Blah blah. I had a case. I'm like, all right, great. They're gonna pop it today. It was in the boxes in bags, and they just poured it out of the bags into the uh, into the case and made it. Yeah, and made it look like it was popped there. What well, didn't, didn't even pop it there? So Lame. how could they even rate? Like, yeah, it was horrible, horrible. So I, I assume when you're home, like, you don't go for like pop secret when you're watching a movie at home. No, I or go to the like. movie theater <laughs> and I get popcorn and I go home. <laughs> <laughs> Pete, I do. If you, if you ever We're come doing up that my years. way, man, my lady a gourmet does that. popcorn store up here it's good. Uh, and so I actually think Sam's been there. Yeah, they have yeah. amazing stuff. So if you're ever up this way, I'll All take right. you. Yeah. Awesome. I would love that. Crazy flavors. Yeah, a band I played with in California for a while whenever we would go on tour, we would van tour up and down the coast and we we'd have a day off or something at somebody's house and say, "Oh, is there a theater near here?" Says, "Oh, yeah, let's go see a movie." So we go and I said, like, "Oh, I don't <laughs> want to see a movie. I just want to buy popcorn." Go, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? That's awesome. <laughs> But yeah, I've been doing that for years, but the popcorn hunt started in 2018 and I didn't actually do another one until this year. Really? Um, yeah, I didn't do another one until this year. And this year was more fun to see other people were involved. You know, Sam was involved and Diller was involved. Fans started bringing me popcorn. Volby fans. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Yeah. From different countries and cool. different microwave pops and different store bag pops. And, you know, some people made it at home and brought it. And I couldn't eat it, obviously, because- you know, you don't really know what's in it. It could be dangerous. You don't eat food given to you on tour. Be, uh, that's the way it is, unfortunately. Sorry. But, yeah, but, it, it when people see this stuff and find out stuff that you like, they start bringing it. Yeah. What, what, are you, gonna what say, if you were like the craft coffee guys who bring their own <laughs> drip and like do that, but you had your own little popcorn setup. I think that would be kind of neat. You got a Pelican with like all your little bits oh. in it and everything like the coffee folk. <laughs> so, so I want to talk about, I also want to talk about Pete's work box, but before we get uh, there, you, you had the um, popcorn, you had the microwave popcorn pop bowl. I, re oh, I remember yeah. cause we were yeah. in production rehearsals yeah, and I that was walked a gift out from a fan too. And I hadn't met yep. anybody, and I walked out, and I just smelled popcorn. And you just walked up, and you want some popcorn? I was like, "Oh, thanks." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone, uh, someone gave me, someone mailed mailed it to me. No, someone in the U.S. tour, uh, a fan brought it. It was a silicone bowl that you can pop popcorn on in, in your microwave, and it's better than doing the bags. I've seen and that it, thing. It was amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. And so I had it on the whole most of the tour, but then I brought it to Europe in the summer this year and it disappeared. Like I think either uh -huh. someone threw it away or stole it. I don't know which, which sucks, but that was, that was pretty cool. I want to get one built into my work box, but that's, that might be a little much. I might just have to get a separate road case for a popcorn machine. Pete also has a very cool work box. Can we, can we talk about the special addition to your work box? Yeah. So that's part of my day too. You know, you asked about my day, Sam, how my day goes uh, earlier. And um, I got off on the popcorn track, but uh and, and your question too, Chris, about my most exciting thing on tour. Yes, you know it, it, it's popcorn, but you know I'm, I'm I'm a I'm a drummer, and I love being able to play the drums in these big places that that I've never mm -hmm. probably ever get to play in in my lifetime. The festivals and the huge arenas and all that, because I sound check twice a day, you know. So that's really thrilling for me for sure. Um, feeling the immense volume coming through those speakers, you know, it's awesome. That's a good to thing play. to hear from a tech 
because I think a lot of us get jaded on that. And that's one thing I learned early on was you got to do the thing, whatever it is. And that's part mm-hmm. of the thing. Like how many times are you going to be standing on a stage in Japan outdoors for like that many people or right. a right. festival in Europe with, you know, a hundred thousand people that have been camping out for three days. Like exactly. It, you can't sit on the bus or sit at the hotel. You can't. <clears throat> no, no, it's, it, it, and it makes it, for me, it makes it worth all the bullshit you might've gone through to set up that show. Yep. Cause some of, you know, sometimes it's not easy, especially festivals as you, as you guys know, you know, it's not, not smooth. It's mm. different every fucking day that you show up, you know, it's different, different load in times, you know, different, just different everything. I mean, it might seem like every festival is the same, but no, they are not. <laughs> That's my, my favorite thing ever is, I've done what I need to do. It's not quite doors yet. I love going out and walking around the venue, walk around the parking lot, take a lap around the arena or whatever, and see. Yep. I just did uh, Billy Strings New Year's show, and man, they're just out there and they're all dressed up and they're just so excited. And I just love doing a lap and just and then that's kind of a grounding thing for me, you know. Like yeah. this is why this is why we we come back and keep doing this job, and and uh, I think Absolutely. that's. That's something that's kind of become a little bit of a ritual to me. Uh, the, the other thing I wanted to ask you, Pete, you said you've been working with John and Volbeat for 11 years. What's the dialogue like at this point, you know, in terms of what John is doing and, hey, I want to change the symbol or I want to add another thing here. I mean, are you are you probably involved in that progress by now? Yeah, I am. I have been for a while. I mean, John's <clears throat> John's different in the way that he's kind of he's kind of hands off. Um you know, when it comes to um, the way things are tuned and stuff like that, it wasn't in the beginning, obviously, because I was just starting with him. But it didn't take very long to him for him to say, "Okay, yeah, this is this is good. I know I can come out of here, and this is going to be the same." As far as making changes, um, we've gone through like different using different heads and using. I mean, there was a year where, um, believe it or not, we went to we went to flat black drum heads. This is probably three or four years into me working with them. Went to flat black drum heads, and the only reason we changed to those drum heads was because the lights were shining in his face off the clear heads. And as silly as that might sound, when I'm up there sound checking sometimes and Niller's got the lights going, I'm like, I'm blind. I can't see anything. I don't know how he sees Michael during a show. You know? So we all joke <clears throat> because like we all wear sunglasses at front of house because of it like there's all these pictures of me right. and my aviators and i'm like yeah it's because i can't see anything otherwise <laughs> right right so when you know when I, when john uh <clears throat> when john mentioned being blinded and what can we do what can we do <clears throat> i just told him well you can either tell them there nil or no lights on the drums or <clears throat> we can change your heads to flat black they do make a flat black head and they won't reflect you're already getting enough hardware and symbols and all that so this will at least cut down on a little bit coming off the drums. So he was willing to try it. And we used them for probably, <clears throat> I don't know, uh, a year or two of runs. But the sound wasn't as good. And none of us thought, including our sound guys, you know, none of us thought that it was as good as the heads we were using prior. So we eventually went back to him. And he hasn't really complained about the the reflection since then. It might have just been something he was going through. I don't know. At that time, I don't know. But um yeah, I mean, I try to find solutions as needed because he, you know, he does sometimes go through that. Like right now, we're actually trying to go through because um, uh, Promark stopped making the gloves we use. 
and the drum gloves. So now he's got to find a different company. So and this would happen in the middle of a tour. So he kind of goes to me and I research as many different companies that make them and I try to get a pair for him to try, you know, different sizes, all that stuff. Um, he just, he's, um, he's trying to find a uh, um, new, uh, new stick company as well. So we're kind of going through that and he's, um, he's gone, you know, we went to the Pisces factory this, this time around, we got to go to the factory, which was great. And so he would go in and try stuff. And he always kind of asks me <laughs> what my opinion is when he first signed with Peisty, Um He had chosen a bunch of symbols and then he would email me the list and say, if there's anything you think, anything you think you should add, add it to the list and I'll try them. You know, when he was some, I'm pretty involved. Mm-hmm. I mean, when he wanted a new snare drum, <clears throat> Pearl shipped me six snare drums that I chose and I reheaded them with what John was using. I went to the studio, I recorded them with his sticks, with his heads, and I sent John MP3s. Wow. So that's what I mean by hands off too. Like he wouldn't go through that. He's not a technical guy. He's not a tech guy. I love that shit. Yeah. That's what I do. You know, you can tell you went to the studio and recorded. That's amazing. Holy cow. Yeah. (laughs) So it's also really, I mean, it's really cool to have that trust with the artist that they're looking to you and, and, uh, they they just go like, well, I know Pete's going to take care of me, you know? Yeah, it's good to get to that point for sure. And John's a super sweet guy. And, um, you know, it's it, my day is easier because of him partially, mm. you know, and, and my day is not as long as some people's <laughs> on our crew because of him. Because the other artists, you know. <laughs> Uh, I got to. I, 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 I'm a lucky. I'm lucky. Poor Pete gets to see me like three coffees in when he walks in. The, he rolls off the bus, and I'm like six yeah. shots of espresso in. He's like, "You all uh, right?" I'm like, yeah, yeah. So the the yeah. flip side of that, Pete, is uh, halfway through the run that you and I did together, we had yeah. John got sick, and right. you had to bring in a sub drummer. And can you talk about that process a little bit of just getting up to speed on that, and you know, finding yeah. that we got to go quick and we got to be efficient, but we also need to make him comfortable. And what was that process like for you? This is where, this is where being a drummer helps. Okay. Mm. Because not only were they bringing in John daddy, but he's a lefty. Ooh. So that's a whole new set of circumstances you're dealing with from a righty drummer to a lefty drummer. And he wanted to use John's drums. So I've been setting up John's drums for years, righty, obviously. And it's not a small kit. And it's not just easily interchangeable without losing. Like what I was worried about was losing all memory locks and things like that on John's angles and heights and things, because now I got to adjust it to John Deddy, who's completely different in how high his symbols are and what the angle of his toms are and things like that. So I had to, try to be a little creative and not lose my place with John Larson while I'm teching for John Deddy. <laughs> you know, they both have the same first name. I try not to confuse the two, but um, you know, it. Uh, when they brought him in, we actually rented a kit to rehearse on. So I wouldn't have to screw with John's drums. And I went online, which is the beautiful, you know, before there was the internet, I don't know how else people would do this, but <laughs> I went online and I checked out every video I could, you know, current video of John Deddy and his setup and 
kind of got a feel for what I needed to do. We rented the gear, went to a rehearsal at a theater, <clears throat> set all his stuff up, and he showed up. I had known John from a previous tour with Anthrax because he was subbing for Charlie, and they were opening for Volbeat. So we already knew each other, luckily, and we got along. So that's, that helps. Um, he came in, gave me a big hug. So let's do it. He checked over some stuff. He made some tweaks. He told me like what spring tension he liked on his pedals, all that stuff. So, you know, I made notes where I needed to. He did three shows, I think. <clears throat> the challenge for me was transi transitioning John's kit into a daddy kit. And that, that took some time. So my days were longer then, you know, for those three shows than they have been probably the entire time I've been with John Larson, even though, Daddy's, you know, the kit was scaled down for Daddy. I didn't use mm. it many toms, um, but yeah, it was still lefty. You got some so really I, cool videos uh, from from those yeah. shows. It, you know, the thing that that uh, the, that we were dealing with out front is I I, I did this show and uh, it was a local thing, and the the uh, the drummer wanted to hear his kit from the house, so he had someone else sit behind his kit and play. And then he yeah. was like, well, that doesn't, I'm like, well, it's not you. And so he's just thinking right. the sound of the drums. And <clears> I, as the mix engineer, was trying to explain, yeah, but you are the human who's playing them. That's such a huge factor in the sound that it, that it makes. And so, you know, it Denny is. was doing a lot of work out front because like you said, you know, the drums were pretty much the same drums, but you can tell when you insert different player, different player behind that yeah. kit, you know, yeah. he did a lot of work on the mix to, to keep it together. <laughs> yep. And, uh, it was yep. really a cool thing to hear because you don't really get that situation too often where you've got this really gelled show and these really gelled players yeah. and this really gelled sound. And then it's like, replace this yeah. person, you know, and we just kind of heard a different perspective on, on what was happening with the drums on that show. And that was a pretty cool experience, you know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I could see how it would be, you know, I, I, when you, um, when you tech like that and you're, you're switching to a different drummer and a different personality and he swings the sticks different. You might play harder, you know, whatever you, and you're sound checking for that guy too. You have to switch gears. Mm -hmm. You have to switch oh, yeah. gears and try to play like that guy, you know, and I'm not going to play like daddy, but I can kind of try to play as heavy as he hits and, you know, maybe study his swing a little bit <clears throat> and swing the stick like he does to, to help out front of house. And I think I did a good job of that. Denny had mentioned to me, <clears throat> that it was amazing how close I came, luckily, you know. So <laughs> but that's that's kind of something too that you gotta watch out for when you're when you're switching gears so quick to to a different guy because it's not just the drum set. It is like you said, it is the person and it yeah. definitely makes a difference. The velocity they they hit with and everything, you know. The the first time I noticed that um was and i've talked about this a while back was like so like if you work a house gig whether it's a church or whatever and it's like the same house kit you, you have a mm -hmm. rotation of drummers that was the first time it was apparent to me i'm like okay the kick has the, the kick, specifically kick drum kick drum hasn't changed the mic placement hasn't changed yet it sounds different across each three people and it blew my mind that yeah that the physical thing never changed yet just the way someone physically hits that with their foot yeah how, maybe maybe if they rest the beater a little bit longer than the next person uh, to yep. dampen the head or not and how much it changes that tonality that was that was interesting and yep. in how to uh adjust for that um and like if you if you only ever heard well this drummer and this kid this drummer and this kid it's not so apparent but like you said as soon as you hear those kind of a b back and forth um yeah. i'm curious um 
have you ever had to work with a drummer who sang and you were responsible for like swinging the microphone around when he had to sing and then swinging it back around when he wasn't singing? <laughs> I have experienced, uh, uh, you know, some artists like that. I thought I was going to have to do it with RJ, but he does it himself hmm. uh, in Hailstorm. He grabs it with a stick and then he swings it back. And the only responsibility I have as far as the microphone goes is make sure it's in reach. Hmm. So, yeah, I was always, you know, I was, I was actually a little worried about that because I was always worried about hitting him with the microphone in the mouth, <laughs> you know. That would suck. When you swing it in, it just go clunk, you know. Um, no, I, was, I mean, and I've, and I've done it for myself, but no, not, not, I haven't run into that with anybody else. No, just RJ, and and like I said, he was pretty self-sufficient that way, yeah. where he liked to have control of that, you know, himself. Has there been something that you noticed in your own playing that you said, oh, I got to take this back to what I'm doing as a tech, you know, and like some cross-pollination, you know, that you kind of discovered when you're sitting behind your own kit, something where you store it or set it up or tune it, and then you said, oh, you know, this is going to help me with that other project? Hmm, good question. Hmm. I don't think I really think about it. I don't know. I think it becomes built in. Yeah. That's cool. So I don't notice if I do, you know, I, nothing comes to mind. I'm probably going to pay attention to that. Now I have gigs coming up. I'm probably gonna pay attention <laughs> now that you say that, <laughs> let me get back to you on that one. So something, I'll text you. <laughs> something I've been curious about for a little bit is uh, how, how is it working with your engineers on site? Right? Like how, how does that dialogue in between like you and Pat and Aaron and Denny all, cause I'm so far removed from that. Right. Right. Sure. Um, sure. So what is that relationship <clears throat> like? And just how does that work between you guys? Um, in Volbeat, because we've been working together for so long, you know, I mean, even though not as long with, uh, you know, some of the guys, I mean, especially like the, the audio techs, we've had a couple come and go uh, before Aaron. And so Aaron's kind of new to the mix. It's usually the techs that I have more involvement with, obviously, with setup. And with the Volbeat gig, because I was doing it all in the beginning, transitioning to having a tech come up and fuck with the kit was a little weird for me. Um, <laughs> also, because I'm very... Like I don't use a stagehand to help me set up. I use them to help me load out sometimes because I don't want things scratched and bumped and whatever. I'm kind of, uh, it comes from me being a drummer maybe, but um, <laughs> I just, yeah, just because I feel like it's my kit, you know, mm -hmm. and I don't want anything happening to it. And I am responsible for it. But um, the guys we have now <clears throat> are very good with, knowing when I'm ready for them. <clears throat> and that's important because I, I they've come up before I'm ready and I'm a patient dude, but I usually will tell them, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. Yeah, I'm trying to get I, back to the what you hate about audio engineers here. That's what I, where's where we're getting at here. Right here. We're, we're bringing it out of you. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> because, I, because I, yeah, well, but you know what though? I've been in that situation where they don't give a shit and they come up and they just start plugging shit in and I don't even have angles and heights ready yet. You yeah. know? I, I, I think that's it's an experiencing what I've learned or I've seen, right? Like I think once you, when you're, when you're younger and, and you just don't, you just like, you don't know what you don't know. Right. And right. I think we could all attest this from the audio side. It's like you, 
from an audio perspective, you have a job, right? I got to get these mics on these things and I move on the next thing. And it's like, right. you know, and, and I think I, I, what I've experienced is there's a certain point in your career where you learn this awareness of like, no amount of me getting here quicker is actually going to make things quicker, right? Like no. you always ask either the drummer or if they have a tech, like, hey, you let me yeah. know and it will right. always be quicker. So that's a PSA. It will always be quicker and Thank better. You. If you ask either the drummer or drum tech, hey, you let me know when you're ready, and then you could be in and out in five minutes. You don't need to be spending 15, 30 minutes fixing every time they adjust. Yeah, so that's right. that's a little PSA to us. Oh, audio. thank well, you for it, doing for The other thing is that you're going to miss stuff because you're going to, oh, you're still set up the floor, Tom. I'll go to the overhead. Well, you're not going to yep. go back to, you're going to forget stuff, right? So right. wait until you're happens, done, yeah. go in and yeah. go through your input list. Because, I mean, yep. I've seen it happen where they're trying to work around the drum tech. And then you never get Tom two plugged in because they were adjusting right. something, and now you got a bigger right. problem, you know. So just right. just go get a drink or something and come back. <laughs> right. When we have, you know, it's a time issue too. Like when we have three hours, and I know I can get the kit set up in a half an hour. Leave me the fuck alone until I'm done. Mm-hmm. We got three hours. You're gonna be you're gonna be fine. You know. <laughs> When 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 the gear doesn't show up till fifteen minutes before the show, then fucking panic and come up here and I'll, we'll get it done together. Yeah, that's cool. Come up and do your thing. And we've had that happen. Mm-hmm. So I've been in that situation, and I'm fine with it then. Yeah, you know, I know I go by time frames. You know, like if I have a day sheet in front of me and I know I need to be done by this time, I'm ready by that time. But just because you're want to be ready earlier. Don't think that's going to make me move faster. <laughs> In fact, it makes me move slower. Because then I, because then I got to pay attention to you because you're up here. Yeah, you know. So, like you were saying, right, Chris? It was like, yeah, it's not going to make me go any faster, right? No, it's not going to get your gonna, job done any faster. If anything, it's going to be worse. Nope. Yeah, for sure. Right? Uh, how about how about what what do you listen to compared to your drummers? I, different techs have different feelings and thoughts on whether they listen to the exact same mix, so that if something were happened to theirs, they can peel it out. Or sometimes techs need to hear some different mm-hmm. things. So, what's that lane like for you? It's changed for me. Um, well, with with John, uh, it used to be I only listened to what he was listening to, but um, since then we've, I don't know if we've gotten new packs or what, but they switch channels so I can listen to two mixes and you switch back and forth. But, um, we didn't always have that. So I would always listen yep. to John's mix and, um, make sure that what he was hearing was what he wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. And I could also, but see John's mix is, um, he doesn't listen to any symbols. Um, he's got bass, Michael's guitar, Michael's vocal little bit of Rob's guitar, kick snare, a little bit of Tom's. And sometimes I'm not going to hear if a mic goes dead on certain mm, things because it's yep. not in his mix. Yep. So I always have a secondary mix where it's just drums and maybe a little bass and a little vocal. I don't care about the guitars. Right. So it's I want to hear the drums really clearly so I know something's going wrong if something goes wrong. Yep. Um we all have crew mix. That's that's my my mix, but we have a crew mix that um, we can talk to each other on. So usually I'll get a call from Denny in front of house or Pat in Monitor World and say, hey, uh, snare, mic, snare mic is weird, something's crackling, whatever, and mm-hmm. I can go out there and see what's going on. Um, so we try to you know, check for each other. Um, my relationship with the guys, you know, getting back to Sam's question, you know, I – I work really well with them now. Going through different monitor techs is tough because you're 
especially every tour because you, well, obviously it's a new personality. They have a, they have a certain workflow that they like to like to use, and it's different from the last guy. And I have something I've been doing for the past eleven years that I like to stick to. So do I force them to go with you know me, or do I try to work with them, not knowing how long they're actually going to be here? Or are they only here for this tour? <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's valid. So yeah, but it's been it's been okay. Like I said, I'm I'm pretty patient, and if they give me my time, and that. I'll leave them alone with the kit. I'll trust them that far after say the first four or five shows, you know, when I don't know the guy, I'm usually there till he's done. And if he routes something weird or I'm also very like cosmetic. So if your cable runs look fucked up and yep. especially with video now, yep. if it's covering artwork on a drum, but it could go another way, I'm going to tell you to put it the other way Yep. because it's going to be in that video frame or whatever. I pay attention to that stuff. You and, have to. Yeah. And I mean, sometimes, you know, and this is perfectly fine when you're the new guy as the monitor tech or, and you're wiring up the drums and you're the new guy, you're just trying to get it right and trying to get it done. You're not probably not paying attention to that much detail right away. And that's kind of why I stay out there just to let them know this is how we usually do it. This is how, you know, to give them a heads up. And if they don't remember the next day, no big deal. They don't remember the next week. Eh, well, we'll see if they remember by the end of the tour, I guess. But, <laughs> You know, I try well, to try to that's, help yeah. out. No, that's the advantage of a tour. I mean, like when you're doing like legit tours or you're doing a, like a world tour, multiple ones, this, that, and the other. I mean, like you're literally cutting XLR, resoldering ends, so your loom sure. is the exact length yeah. every day, as opposed to a festival patch where you end up with these piles of cable and this, that, and the other. Like yep. there's there are two differences in two different times, and you know, so yeah. um, that's that's the beauty of touring is that you can basically hide every cable and stand and sure um sure yeah but i also try to think about loadout mm-hmm. so i don't want a cable wrapped five times around a cymbal boom yep because i need to get the fuck out of there you know <laughs> and now i gotta unwrap this cable five times to get this one cymbal boom off you know and because usually they're not up there right away they're doing wedges or whatever and they don't have time to get up there right away so i gotta peel off cabling while i'm taking drums down and taking drums apart you know um, but we've, everyone up there has got a pretty good relationship. We kind of learn quick of how everybody gets through their gig and we try to not step on each other as much as we can, you know, um, everybody's got a pretty, pretty good rapport at this point. You know, we fuck with each other and joke with each other and we're up there playing video games and whatever else. That's that what family do. does. Yeah. Yeah. It's all good. Sam, do you want to do your question? Sure. All right, Pete, what do you wish you knew when you first started? Well, I wish I knew when I first started. When I first started teching? In general, when you first started touring, working, getting into the industry, anything. Um, what I wish I knew? Where the best popcorn was. I'm just kidding. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mess up the food um, question. The what? <laughs> Not the food <laughs> question. <laughs> What do I wish I knew when I first started? I wish, oh, okay. I wish I knew I could actually get paid to tour the world and there you go. see places I've never seen because I would have strived for it a lot sooner in my life. I mean, how old are you, Sam? You're 20 something? 20 young? Just turned just say 20 young. Let's, let's go with that 20 something. Yeah, 20 something. I mean, you're already touring like I'm touring and I'm 52. So. Pete, you I don't mean, if I could, if I could have been doing man. that, oh, thanks, thanks. 
<laughs> very kind of you. Very kind of you. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I wish I knew that because I, I would have done it in my twenties. You know, in my twenties, I was stuffed in a van with a bunch of guys roaming around the country, which was great in itself. You know, and I think that that's what, that's actually missing from a lot of bands now is they don't go and do that. They don't get in a van together and go slug yep. it out in the clubs all over the country yep. or wherever you are. You I know do they it. just immediately want to oh, totally. start a band. Yeah. No, Kyle, just, you actually you you have like thoughts and feelings on that of like the bands that like it shows when bands have never had to grind it out and like you just yeah. start at two thousand cap rooms and shit like that. Like there's there's a difference. Yeah, let's talk old timer stuff, Kyle. I love it, man. <laughs> I, I I tell you what, like if the right band asked me to do a van tour and I have a few in my list, I would totally mm-hmm. go do it. I would completely yep. go yep. do it because I tell you what, like some of the best things that ever happened to me that question that sam asks is is where all those questions got answered which what i wish i would have known happened in a fucking van driving 700 miles with seven stinky hardcore <clears throat> kids to a youth hostel yeah. like those questions get right. answered real quick and um i i wouldn't trade it for the world man it, I, I like that I you say. I like that you say that you you enjoy getting paid for this because there is a, a even in audio we're running into things with this podcast that we never even knew about in in the world of audio and especially with IT and how things are going in videos and games and what kid what these young folks are learning about um, is huge. So yeah, what would you tell a young drum tech? would be the most valuable tool that you could give them now to get started since there isn't like a school for drum techs. I don't think anything beats, um, well, two things. The first thing is just getting out there and doing it on any level. So if you can get a van tour with a bunch of your friends that are going to do even just the East coast or the West coast or whatever for a couple weeks, and they're just offering, you know, you offer to set their shit up to, you know, for food, go do it and mm-hmm. get that experience, you know? And then the second thing, which is le- is part of this, is networking, which I told you guys if I didn't sit down in that club mm-hmm. and talk to that girl after the show, I wouldn't be teching. Well, maybe I'd be teching, I don't know, but I, I wouldn't be teching for Volbeat as far as I can tell, because I would have never met any of those guys. I would have never met that tour manager, you know, that got me a stagehand job and then ended up getting me a tour job. I would have never connected with that guy, as far as I can tell. My path Huge. would have been would have been drums, but it would have been different. You know, yep. definitely would have taken a different path. So, don't be afraid to, you know, scrape and claw and get and and get in, you know, dirty in, in a van with somebody and tour and get that experience and. While you're out there, talk to everybody that's doing it yep. and let them know who you are and, and exchange, especially now it's so easy to exchange contact information that you can always keep in touch with these people and keep in touch with these people. Don't just meet them there and then never talk to them again. You know, that's, I think that's the most valuable thing for me to, to share. Awesome. Absolutely. It's awesome. Absolutely. Michael. Excellent. So, Pete, you said you are 
in Massachusetts, which is like sort of my neck yeah. of the woods. Uh, we're yeah. all going to come down and we're going to meet you for uh, dinner. Where are you taking us? Favorite spot? Oh, Mac and Waltz in Norton. Oh, you had it ready. That's oh, that's awesome. You're yeah. speaking. You're that's speaking good. Michael's language. Yeah, yeah. Mac and Waltz is um, a whiskey bar, but the food is amazing. Nice. And it's a small little place that uh, is owned by a son of parents who own all these huge Italian joints in the area. But he uh, opened this one and named it after his two sons. Oh, so um, uh, not Waltz. like mac and cheese like Michael's obsessed with. That's what I was no, thinking no. when you said mac. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they do, ha- they do have an awesome mac and cheese there. So See? you can get that. Nice. I love that. I, as you should. If, if Mac is in your name, I yeah, think it'd be the requisite. Right. There has to be good Mac and cheese. Right. I, I, I have a, nor, a Northeast. Absolutely. Since I have a bunch of folks here from the Northeast on a podcast, I'm going to ask. <laughs> I'm going to ask a food question. What's with the um the roast beef places up there? Like that's a thing. And there's I just they're I all just, different. Me and Leo Pisak just went to one man. Uh, up at uh, it's called Piggy Pats. It's it's uh. But I think in New Hartford, New York, we met up, and uh, you'll have to ask Leo what he thought. But yeah, there's there's like a little pocket of really good like pulled pork, roast beef type of thing. Yeah, I noticed that too. There's one up in uh, Revere Beach and uh, above uh, north of Boston. Yeah, Kyle, it's funny too. you say that. I met my now wife on tour at a place called Nick's Roast Beef on Second Street in Philly. So, yeah. You had a hot roast beef date, Chris. On that note, thanks for joining us. Before, yeah. thanks everybody. Yes. <laughs> oh my god! All right, Pete. Pete, thanks for being here, man. We appreciate. Wait, 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 wait. My question. I got my oh, question. Oh, sorry, yeah, Chris's yeah, question. Oh yeah, I got question. distracted by the roast yeah. beef. Go ahead, Chris. And Sam's not even here. You can't leave without. Oh, she's Sam. back. She's yeah, back. oh, there she is. Chris, yeah, finish her off. Probably a good thing she didn't hear any of that. Yeah. Anyway, all right. So, Pete. Yeah. Yeah. If you could define your legacy or how you'd want to be known, how would you define that? Not not popcorn, Pete. As I know that's what you're all thinking. <laughs> Although, I, hold on. If that's not already a TikTok name that you own, and you haven't started a popcorn thing on There's TikTok, there's got to be one out there already. Yeah, I don't There's know. There's got to be plenty of popcorn. Th- Pete, this out could there. be a thing. You could uh, you could make a channel on the whole popcorn rating thing. I've got to start a. Open a popcorn store and call it Popcorn Pete's. Yeah, you could have like um, that would popcorn be only fans. I mean, it is a thing I just yeah. checked. So you're gonna yeah, have to so, fight them now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, never, uh, never compromising or pigeonholing myself into one thing. Nice. And always being open and always sticking to 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 music. I always stuck to music, but. I took every aspect I could get my hands on and learned about it. Even if I wasn't a hundred percent with all those, you know, just a hundred percent with one thing. I, I always wanted to um, learn the other aspects of the music business and everything that's involved, you know? Was, was there that's a pinnacle spot where you learned that you had to maybe accept more things or um, to, to, to learn that or was that kind of what's been rooted there? Uh, yeah, it was, it was my first band, uh, actually my second band, the first band I toured with, which was 1992. Metal? Was it metal? Tell me it was metal. It was more Aerosmith blues rock. Eh, That's okay. That's okay. Um, (laughs) sorry, buddy. (laughs) Sorry to disappoint you. 
<laughs> no, I, w- I was hoping for another Malaya Rage, the, the East Coast thrash metal. No. See, I didn't get into that. And, and can I just say this? Are we out of time? Can I say this? You're fine. So, the floor is yours, Pete. All right. Okay. I, and I might, I'm not trying to offend anybody in the metal world at all, but I'm going to say this. The band I have been touring with, Volbeat, for the last 11 years, most of the bands we tour with are completely lost on me. Like, it is not my genre. I'm a cheap trick guy. I'm a Danko Jones guy. Danko Jones tours with us, and it's my favorite band we've ever toured with in 11 years. Um, but a, and a lot of the iconic metal bands, I, I love Iron Maiden, you know, I love Motorhead and all those older metal bands, but a lot of the bands we tour with and play festivals with are just lost on me. And I, I come home, and people are like, oh, I was a touring with this band. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. Okay, yeah, just not good my dudes. genre, I guess. We always um, said, oh, yeah, good, good dudes, dudes, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> good dudes. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a cool yeah. hang. Yeah, that that happens to but, us audio people as well. I mean, I mean, that's if if, yeah. if you mm-hmm. only ever toured at bands that you actually liked with, you wouldn't probably work very much. Great, yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I mean, I don't choose the bands that Volby chooses to tour with, you know, sure. but. And I, I luckily enjoy Volby's music. I don't, you know, but the genre in general, like, there's not a lot of bands that we tour with that I really get into and I want to go out and watch every night and, and all that, unfortunately. Not that they're bad bands, just not my not my thing. I'm sure you guys feel the same way about bands too. Same. Maybe yeah. you've toured with. Mm-hmm. You, you, yeah. you were going to mention, so the second band you were with is when you had learned oh, the lesson. Oh, yeah. So, so that, yeah. So, the turning point for me was um, in 1993. I had been in a band for two years, and we had van toured and done all this cool stuff. And that was my focus. Like I, I lived that band. And when the singer called me up one day and said, "Hey, I'm joining the army," mm. and the band is over, I was devastated. I didn't know what to do with myself. I hadn't played with anybody else. Mm. You know, I before that I had bands, but during that two and a half years, whatever it was, I hadn't played with anybody else. So I didn't really even know what I was going to do. So it kind of devastated me. So from that point on, I swore to myself, I would never just play with one band. And that kind of segued when I, when I became a drum teacher and, and then, you know, becoming a stagehand and just getting, I mean, I was a stage manager at clubs and I ran sound at clubs in certain places. And, learned about all that stuff, you know, and like I said, with the audio engineering, when I would do sessions, I'd learn about recording. I just spider webbed, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I never pigeonholed myself again into one style of music or uh, playing wise, um, or one field really in the, in the music industry. You know what I mean? Yeah. I try to stay in my lane. Don't get me wrong. Like I'm not, no, I'm not it, a front a, house guy. But. No, it's a wise thing. I mean, it's I mean, it's everything from you know having multiple income streams to having the ability right. to kind of fall back on something else. You know, it's 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 not a it's it's not a crutch. You know, those are and it, I think that that goes across multiple lanes of the business, whether you're in audio, whether you're in whatever. So that, that's great. And it's I mean, unfortunately, it often takes lessons like that for you to to learn. But I think yeah. the important part is you learn from it and, and what you do with it after that is if you know is the is the important thing. So. Yeah, absolutely. Pete, where absolutely. can uh, you talked a lot about the, the videos and your work and your posts, and where can people find what you're doing? Let's let's uh, make sure we get that uh, in there. You know what? 
just just go to pdabdu.com and all the links are on that website to go to my Instagram, my YouTube pages, um, all my band's music's on there, my different, different bands I play with and record with. It's all there for people to find. Just, uh, take the time to do it if you feel like taking the time to do it, and I guess. We'll, uh, we'll put the link in the yeah, we'll like episode it. description yep. as well. Absolutely. Yep. Pete, That's great. Thanks for yeah, joining us, it. man. It's great to chat with you. And awesome. Uh, Thank you. Thanks so for much. having me. That's awesome. Thanks, Thanks for, for hanging out. Me. Appreciate it.